What then, are we Jews better than these Gentiles? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The Unchanging Word broadcast is continuing our study in the book of Romans, And we are in chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. The question this portion of Scripture answers today is, How does God see man? What does He see in the character and conduct of man? What standard does God use universally across the board for the whole human race? Well, Dr. Mitchell will be explaining a few things concerning what the Scriptures say about men. There is man's character, man's conduct, and the reason man is the way he is universally. And then Dr. Mitchell will conclude then after three chapters with looking at the scriptures which give a final verdict on the whole of humankind. Well, turn with us in your Bible to Romans chapter 3 verse 9 with our teacher Dr. Mitchell. And here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again we come to our studies and we are discussing together and thinking together on this wonderful book of the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. And we're in the third chapter, and we're down to verse 9 and 10. Uh, for those of you who are just listening in, may I say that we have been following through uh, the argument of Paul in this epistle. In chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul wants to speak of the revelation which God had given to him concerning the righteousness of God. But it would be of no value to speak of the righteousness of God when men were occupied with their own so-called boasted self-righteousness. So in the first chapter, he proves the Gentile world to be 
absolutely without righteousness. In fact, God gave men up to uncleanness, to vile affections, to a reprobate mind. Then when we come to chapter 2, he has a little more difficult task. And in the first 16 verses, he takes the moralist and the religionist, and he proves them to be just as equally guilty as the outbroken sins of the Gentiles. And he, he meets them on the ground of how God will judge men. And it's very obvious that God must judge men according to truth. And he must judge men uh, according to their works. And he must judge men without any partiality, without respect of persons. He can't show any favoritism to anyone. Then he's going to judge the very secrets of men, the very motives of the heart of man by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. Then he turns and starts in at verse, verse 17 of chapter 2 and goes right down to chapter 3, verse 8, and he proves the Jew to be as equally guilty as the Gentile. And you remember, he spoke of the knowledge the Jew had, and then his own mouth condemned him, his own actions condemned him. And then in the first few verses of chapter 8, he had their advantage. And when he gets down to verse to verse 9, I read these words. What then? Are we Jews better than these Gentiles? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So he, he makes up the flat statement that there, no one is any better than anybody else. And by the way, you know, one could use that today because it's so obvious that many people say, well, I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, uh, or I'm not so bad after all. No, God has already declared both Jew and Gentile, whether you're religious or a moralist, whatever you are, that they're all under sin. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Now, having said that, then he takes the Old Testament Scripture and proves that all men in their character and in their conduct are absolutely unrighteous. That's very obvious. In verses 10 to 12, he takes up this question of the character of man. As I said a moment ago, he takes the Old Testament Scripture to do this. This, of course, really shuts the mouth, not only of the religionist and the moralist, but also of the Jew. This is what God says. Notice the character of man. Now, he's not talking about any individual. He talks about the whole human race, everyone in the human race. As God sees man, this is their character. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's not a very nice picture, is it? But let me read the 53rd Psalm. I'm reading from the second verse. Oh, I'll read the whole, the first, the first three verses. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I've been reading from the 53rd Psalm. 
a requotation here in Romans chapter 3, 10 to 12. Now let me read it. As it is written, it's what God says. This is how God looks at man. Not the way you look at man. You might say to me, well, Mr. Mitchell, I'm just as good as anybody on the earth. Well, I'll take your word for it. But what are you going to tell God? How does God see you? That's the important thing. And what does he say? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now, I remember one time preaching in the city of Tacoma. I had occasion to use this portion of Scripture, and a great big fellow stood up, and he waved his fist at me right in the meeting, and he said, I want you to know, sir, that I sought God. That's why I was saved, because I sought God. Now, it happened that I had been in Tacoma the year before, and I had had the privilege and joy of leading this great big logger, lumberman, to Christ. Now, I remember this very well, but in the meantime, he had been told that he was saved because he sought God. So I asked the question to him. The Bible says, there is none that seeketh after God. When God looked down uh, upon the children of men, he found none that understood, none that did seek him. I'm just quoting what God says. So I said to this man, I didn't know that God was lost, that he had to be sought. We were the lost ones, and God came seeking us. As Luke 19.10 says, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Man is incurably bad. My friend, I'm not going to argue with you on that question. Just look in your own heart. Don't, don't line yourself up with somebody else and say, I'm not as bad as he or she is. That isn't the question. The question is, how do you stand before God? How does God see you? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after him. That's what it says. He ought to know. He ought to know. Man didn't make this thing up. It's what God declares. And your argument is not with me. It's with God. God says there is none righteous. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 12, they've all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, it's true that you and I may do good things in our lives. We might be full of good works as far as man counts them good. If we go by the standards of men, we would argue with this question, but this is not the standard. It's God who is declaring this thing. This is the way God sees people who are out of Christ. And you remember that what Paul is doing. He hasn't yet come to the good news about the Savior, except to mention it in chapter 1, 16 and 17. Remember his great purpose at the shut men's mouths? A pretty hard job to do, especially with a self-righteous man, the good man, the religious man. And God looks upon him and he says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
he's doing, he's, he's manifesting here, or should I say he's giving to us uh, how God looks upon man universally. None that do with God. None seeking him. None. None that understands. This is what God says. Now, if that is our character as God sees us, I wonder what our conduct will be as God sees us. Well, let's read it. Verses 13 down to verse 17. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. This is the history of man from the beginning. Uh, even my brief space of years on earth, we've had a number of wars. In fact, there's always some war going on to a more or less degree. Look at, look at the actions. And the actions, the conduct corresponds to the character. If my character is unrighteous, then of course my actions will be unrighteous. Listen to them. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That means it's like you open a grave with a body that's polluted, corrupt. With their tongues, they have used deceit. Did you ever deceive anybody? The poison of asps is under their lips. Yes, sir, we'll murder character. Our tongues can, can really do damage. We can do more damage with our tongues than we can with anything else. No wonder the Apostle James says that the tongue is set on fire of hell. My, the nasty things we can say with our tongues. Aren't we all guilty? And sometimes things come out of our mouths and we say things and you don't intend to say them. But when your ear hears your tongue say it, your very pride will forbid you taking it back or apologizing. Aren't we all like that, more or less? You see, our character is unrighteous. Our actions will be unrighteous. The poison of asps, poison of asps is under their lips. With their tongues they have used deceit. All the characters that have been murdered by people. And if you were to accuse them of murdering somebody's character, they would look so, so righteous, so self-righteous. Why, they wouldn't do a thing like that. No, no, but it comes out just the same. I want to tell you, my friend, you can't read your newspaper without seeing it. You can't read your magazines. You can't walk, work among people without realizing it. Deceit, asps, poison of asps, bitterness. Where does it come from? From within, from within, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, four, from within proceed all these things. Look at whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, I know that. Before I came to know the Savior, uh, I wasn't taught to curse. I just cursed. In fact, that was part of the language. When you work in shops or shipyards or railroad yards, wherever it may be, wherever your plant may be, 
wherever men are and women are, our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Oh, even among Christians, I've seen that bitterness, bitterness. They speak with a bitter tongue. Oh, and, they, and the damage they do, the friendships that are broken, the fellowships that smashed because of a bitter heart. No wonder Paul wrote to the church and said, let no root of bitterness springing up defile many. Before we were saved, our mouths were full of cursing and bitterness. Isn't it wonderful when one accepts the Savior, the cursing goes out and he puts a new song in our mouths, even praises to the Lord. Instead of cursing people, we bless them. What made the transformation? We've come into the into relationship with the Savior. And then, verse 15, and he didn't spend time there. Their feet are swift to shed blood. That's the history, I say, of the human race. Wars, bloodshedding, it's very, very common. I, I remember when I was a youngster, fighting with my fists with the kids around in the neighborhood, and we used to fight just about every other day. If we didn't find somebody to fight with, we'd find somebody to fight with. And if we had no reason to fight, we'd hit him on the shoulder and dare him to fight. And believe me, brother, when you hit him on the nose and the blood came out, there was an exaltation there. Where did it come from? From a rotten heart, a heart that was sinful, unrighteous, unredeemed. It's the history of man, his feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Even today, with all our knowledge, we see destruction and misery. More than half of the world population today doesn't know where the next meal comes from. And yet we're not backward in our land, in other lands where there's plenty of taking things out and dumping them in the ocean to keep the price of things up. It's a distorted picture. It's a distorted picture of our present civilization. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Terrible picture. Now, what's the cause of it all? What's the reason for this character and for this conduct? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. God is left out of the picture. And my friend, you leave God out of your life then sin and lawlessness come in. Corruption comes in. There's no way out of it. Rule God out of a nation. And what do you find? Corruption, sinfulness, brutality, bloodshedding. You name it. I want to say to you, the more we leave God out of our nation and leave God out of our cities and leave God out of our own individual lives, the result has got to be, and no question about it, it will be moral corruption, lawlessness, bloodshedding, bitterness, cursing. Why? There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now, the, the verdict, let's look at the verdict, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, 
there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, it's taken him nearly three chapters to shut our mouths, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world, Jew, Gentile, moralist, religionist, you name it, they stand before God with their mouths shut, and they have to plead guilty. Then, in verse 20, to keep these moralists and religionists, and especially the Jews, from running to some cover, he immediately closes the whole thing up by saying in verse 20, Therefore, by the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, I want you to mark that. By the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in God's sight. And that just closes the door, doesn't it? There's not a thing you can do, my friend, to fit yourself for the presence of God. You face it, just you face it realistically. If God is righteous, and he must be if he's God, how are you going to stand before him? You've got to stand with your mouth shut. There's not an excuse you can make. You're incurably bad and totally helpless. And it's when God gets you to that position where you're totally helpless and you recognize your position, then you look to God to step into the picture and do something for you. And this is what we're going to have in this book of Romans. After shutting man's mouth from glorying in himself, now God's going to open his heart and he's going to make provision whereby men and women can be saved. So let me just say in closing today, it's not a very nice picture of your character, of your conduct. And then you get right down into it. The reason of it is because there's no fear of God before your eyes. So the whole world, you included, stands before the bar of God and your mouth is shut. You have to plead guilty. And the wages of sin is death. And by the works of the law, no flesh shall ever be able to stand before God acceptably. In other words, God will not accept any works that you can do to make you fit for the presence of God. And remember, we must stand in the presence of God. And if we stand in the presence of God, how are you going to stand? Friend, isn't it wonderful that God has good news for you? What is that good news? Christ Jesus came into the world and bore all your sin. He bore all your lawlessness that you might go free. As the word of God says, he gave himself for our sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. It's good news that God has made provision for you and me to be delivered from our sins so we can stand in his presence acceptably, indeed, in Christ Jesus. And may your relationship to Christ be real and positive. And the Lord bless you. Say, my strength indeed is small. 
Jesus, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.